We are in show notes for the strike episode. And of all the things that we're going to cover today and accomplish together on Fuckers, nothing will be more important than welcoming back the great 99. Yay. Yay. I ate breakfast today mm. and I have a snack, so I'm all, I'm all ready to go. Okay. And you have copious amounts of caffeine in that uh, giant cup? Yes, of course. It, cold coffee for this cold room on this nice crisp fall day. This is my favorite weather. I thought yesterday would be your favorite weather. You love the rainy days. I do love the rainy days. You and called I, it poopy, and I said, and I love you don't really think that. The rainy nights. Such a beautiful sight. I love the rainy nights. A beautiful sight. Eddie Rabbit? No. No? Feel the rain on my face? Eddie Money? Love Eddie Money. Feel the rain on my face? Wink. What, what's going on there? I don't know. What were you winking at? Okay. Just winking. Hey, uh... Can I start with an apology? Uh, yes. To you? Oh, to me. What did yeah. you do? Well, I texted you yesterday. Oh, yes. So I talked to my my old man, and Taylor Swift came up in the conversation, as she does. Of course. Doesn't she come up in everybody's conversations? Mine, at least. And he knows that I'm on record suggesting to 99, strongly, might I add. It wasn't a suggestion. Em- emphatically, <laughs> that Taylor Swift, while... An important icon, modern day icon, could never approach the level of fame of, I believe I said, Michael Jackson, Elvis, or the Beatles, simply because of the fragmented media culture that we have today. And that because things were, I don't want to call it simpler, but more, let's just say less distracted and more focused back in those days, they were much more of a cultural sensation. And my father, who is of an advanced age, couldn't disagree more with that thesis and said, what did I text you? Because I I gave you actually a quote. I think it was, this Taylor Swift is something else. She is something else. Something different entirely. I read it in his voice. Well, I read it in your impression of him. Yes, which I won't do. (laughs) But yeah, he basically said, I lived through the Beatles and Elvis and Michael Jackson. And I can tell you that this Taylor Swift is something else. Yeah, I mean, she goes to one football game and the NFL changes all their social handles to NFL Taylor's version. <laughs> Literally one football game. You know how many people have gone to football games? <laughs> and his jersey is like got up 400% in sales. Yeah, it's the Taylor bump. Yeah. Keeping the economy alive, right? Charging just all a- those young people thousands and thousands of dollars just to see her perform. No, not... Like- it's, she performs for like 30 minutes, right? She just gets like half-heartedly goes through a three-hour show, actually. <laughs> Amazing. And her tickets are reasonably priced. It's What? It's, I spent... There's people mortgaging their houses I to go spent, to shows. Um, I COVID-protected my tickets. So with that, my ticket cost $150. And I for got... Real? Yeah. I got them when I went on... I went back in, what, May? Is it the aftermarket? Is the scalper yeah, market that's a, out of exactly. control? You can't, you can't get tickets. So it's not her fault. I mean... People, she like crash ticket sites as soon as things go online. Like, yeah, it's just it's amazing. Yeah, I was in the queue the first like the first presale, and I was waiting for an hour because it it like, crashed. Um, that was a Ticketmaster thing where they gave out all of the codes instead of some of the codes, so it was a whole thing. But you know, people have their thought. There's uh, what is it called? Dynamic pricing they have for some things, and they're like, she could turn it off, and it's. 
think it's about the location of the venue. But it's like, she's not controlling that. <laughs> I don't think Taylor Swift is uploading her event to Ticketmaster. But I think they're pretty affordable for what it $150 for a three hour show. I mean, the real the real thing they get you on mm-hmm. is the damn beers. Spent $19 on a Bud Light. Ooh, ew. Oh. A 12 God. ounce. Jeez. It was well, it was raining and I didn't want to have a draft beer. And I also knew I'd be like dancing around. So Bud Light was the most palatable. Why don't you just go with a gummy? Like and just I don't really like to be what people do these days. That's not I don't like to be high at shows, really. Unless it's like a jam show, obviously. Right. Or I'm outside. Like I don't want to be inside and be high because I'm gonna be like, you know, just wanna be tripping. Tripping tripping dog. Sorry, dog. Tripping dog. Tripping dog. Okay. Yeah, I mean, tripping balls, but I also yeah. don't want to do that. I don't want to trip balls. No. It's like, you know. Well, she is a phenomenon, and I, um, now that my dad said it, I stand corrected. I yeah, mean, of he's course. Just, he's now that another of, man said it, we believe it. Not not another man. The man. The man. But not Taylor Swift's the man. Is that a thing? I'm so sick of running as fast as I can. Wondering if I get there quicker if I was a man. When they, when they look back on her career... She said so many, well, forget about top 10. She said so many actual, like, number one hits throughout her career. When, when you think back, what do you, what do you think is going to be the most iconic pop culture, like, number one hit that she's ever had? I don't know that I could do that for the Beatles, but, like, what's, what's the equivalent of, like, her Beat It or her Billie Jean? What's the equivalent of, like, her? Well, it's hard because. What did it say for the Beatles? God, I don't know. Oh, yeah, the Beatles, I mean. They're totally different. They're different. They're different. Yeah, you and can't. It's a band. There's just a hundred songs that are um, amazing and popular. With her... Well, maybe it's like that for her, I guess, right? Well, yeah. So her most fate, like her most popular songs that got the most radio play at the time, like Shake It Off and All I Knew right. You Were Trouble, like those to me aren't indicative of her talent. I mean, they're amazing songs and fun pop songs. Yeah. So those will probably stand the test of time in terms of charting. But I don't know that it's it's her top her top quality work in the same way that like folklore and evermore and red and lover and reputation <laughs> and midnight Good Lord. I go. can't pick. I really can't. No, that I th- maybe I think that's part of the point. I basically have like her albums. The last like six are all like t- number one, and then like her first three are like number two. So and and I love the old ones. They just representative of my place in time mm-hmm. which was being you know more of a teenager yep and that's what they were there How for is taylor swift now she is 34 she's still only 34 oh my god she start. yeah she started i mean her first album came out in like 2007 six do you think she'll pull a billy joel and just stop writing songs and then just perform this catalog over and over and over until i don't think she can stop <laughs> that's her problem I mean, not that's it's her problem, and our our one man's trash is another man's treasure. She just can't stop writing, and now with all the re-recordings, she's releasing the vault tracks, so songs that didn't make the album, and some of them are just as amazing, if not better, than some of the album tracks. Hmm. You know, it's there. There, she's released like, I let's see, she's got three re-recordings done or out. There's probably at least fifteen to twenty songs on there. There's only one place for her to go from here, you know. Up. Up and up and up. I mean, there's going to be no decline. Okay. Unless, you know, whatever football team loses and then all the men start being like, oh, it's because that fucking bitch came around. 
there's a trend now of girls telling their boyfriend like Taylor Swift dating this guy and no one's ever heard of him before. I, I've seen a couple of them and they're like, they're fucking priceless. They're gonna help his career. It's gonna help his career. They're, it's they're like priceless. Kanye helping Paul McCartney's career. Right, right. So, yeah, that's Remember that Taylor guy? Corner. Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just talking about him. Why? Uh, I said that Wings should go on tour. My roommate said, "Aren't they all dead?" And I said, "I don't know." Linda's dead. Well, yeah, Linda's dead. I don't. I, I couldn't name another M- member of Wings. Me either. Yeah. But they should go on tour. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. That I convinced really you neat. to be a Wings fan. You you did. Yeah. More hits than I gave them credit for. A hundred hits. Yeah. Just like Taylor. Well, hundred. Mm, <laughs> I'm being hyperbolic today. So now that I have uh, uh, dispensed with the apology up top, uh, let me just also offer some gratitude to some of the keepers of the flame over at the Unfuckers at All Facebook group. Dan Garcia, Bob Knudsen, Jen S., who's on there all the time making things happen now that she's back stateside from Germany. The U.S. Elena S., Maria from PR. There's so many of our, like, died-in-the-wool Unfuckers just making it happen in there and having great conversations. A lot of fun. So if you would like to be part of that Facebook group, just reach out to Bob Knudsen. I'm sure he'll let you in. Uh, is one of the moderators of the group. And uh, thank you to everybody there. Really appreciate it. Just a couple of other quick things before we get into headlines. Um, first of all, the episode, the main episode this week might be a little delayed as Manny Faces has to take care of some important family things. So we might be off a couple of days, but I think uh, 99 are, and I are going to lay it down post haste. This is the epilogue to the socialism series with some Stream of consciousness thoughts after a little bit of history that we get through in the very beginning to go through the Russian Revolution, which I think is you know vital if we want to kind of put a capstone on the the Marxist socialist movements of the last century. Um, another note is that we've got upgrades to the membership tiers with some important announcements that are coming in the next couple of months. So can't say exactly when, but it's definitely before the end of the year that we'll be announcing them. We're pretty excited about that. We're going to be Kind of putting a bow tie on the operation and professionalizing some things. So a we're excited tie? about that. Yeah. <laughs> so just usually putting a bow? Putting, well, so <laughs> that might be a deep cut from before when you got here. Before when I got here before, in terms of in your life? In, uh, or in this room? In, in our day job organization, we hired somebody who had a long career somewhere else. And, uh, As one does. <laughs> and but, but like a lifetime okay. at one place. Right. And then came to us. Mm. Sort of like Aaron Rodgers coming to the Jets. Oh, so this person immediately got injured? Uh, Kind of. Well, we found out a lot about this person, maybe why their career had ended in this other place. But he made this really grand announcement to a room full of people who'd been working their asses off for a long time. Basically, it was like, you're welcome for me being here, and I am the bow tie to your tuxedo. So oh. co- co-opted that phrase ever since then and then use it as if it's a phrase in the world like I do with many other things that really aren't. I mean, it's a pretty grand statement, but I can't say it's not what I do most days here. You are the bo- you are the bow tie for the tux <laughs> and the tux. and I go, you're welcome. And, yes, <laughs> you are welcome. Uh, speaking of phrases that I think are phrases. This is not a phrase. We, I need to clarify this and ask a, a few people to uh, to write in about this and, and let us know. So I often use the phrase going away with respect to winning something. So they won the match going away. And I say it all the time. And 99 is finally like, what the fuck are you even talking about? I've never heard that phrase. And I've then never heard you up. say it. I've never, oh. I've never heard you say it. So... 
in terms, this is why it confused me. Oh, I have me. said it a lot. Because if you but say. maybe only in show notes context and never like written. It probably looked fucked up. Because you said word. capitalism is winning going away. Yes. And I was like, I was reading it over and over and I was like, <laughs> am I doing the wrong intonation? Capitalism is winning going away. <laughs> I was, I couldn't figure it out. I've, and I, I just, I eventually was like, this is wrong. And I thought there was like. And isn't going away. Like, I thought there was something missing there. Oh, okay. Fair. And fair so that's why I asked you. And you were like, no, it's right. And I was like, what the fuck does this mean? Like, I could not parse it. Yeah. So I Googled it. It's obviously a sports thing. A soccer thing, it seems like. Oh, I was, for real? That's I was getting, thing? like, references on weird blog. Like, only 7,000 results came back on Google. So, like. Is that not a lot? No. Okay. Like, uh, not. That seems like a lot. It's not. Okay. I mean, 7,000 results in the whole world. And it wasn't even in quotes. Okay. So it's not, it's just. All right. So unfuckers just pulled out of my ass or, well, or is, it, is know, it a thing that people. Now I know that, that it's you've... a sports thing. Yeah. Because it makes sense of the context of sports. Like, sports like a runaway like or a, something. A competition or yeah, like a runaway. Which right. I get it now, but I don't think it's something. If you said something in, if you said blank blank is winning going away, I think everyone would be like, did you miss a word? <laughs> So that's just where it's not like ginned up where I'm just making fun of you for saying it all the time. Like, yeah. I genuinely thought this was wrong. And I actually when I was writing it and it's because it's funny that you called that out because when I was writing it, I had a comma in there and I took the comma out because I was like, that's not how I say it. And any, any editors that have worked with me over the years know I have a very severe comma problem. Now you've reversed it where you don't use enough commas. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to go to the M dash because I know you like M dashes. You, you just do I the, try to make you happy in so many specific <laughs> ways that you don't even realize. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. No, now the thing you do the lists instead of commas because you like to read it like a list. But yes. What people read. Right. It's kind of taxing on the eyes. Is it? I think so. If you're reading You'll like never get another list. This. This. No, you've said that to me before already. <laughs> so the lists aren't going away. And if you had added a comma, I would have been even more confused. Capitalism is winning, going away. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. I, uh, we left it. All right. So, so. unfuckers, A, have you heard of it? Two, <laughs> in my bizarre listing world, uh, how would you punctuate it? <laughs> Two, period. <laughs> Two, period. Uh, world War I, World War One, WW, Great War. Great. Oh, yeah. We got that in there. Yeah. And then the one that was really prevalent in the strike was the percentages. It was the word percent, percent. And then it was <laughs> the, fractions the spelled that out. Sent me, even I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I really got it. There's just one snippet. My shit out. Mm -hmm. And you know what? After all of that, I still don't know how it should be. <laughs> There's no, I think it, we just. We have to pick a lane. Yeah, I do. I like percent sign. I like to simplify for the I. So like for, for the reader. So I think more words is more strain. So mm -hmm. I always go for like the shorthand. So a percent or and the numbers as a fraction. Rather so than, the socialism episode clocking in at I think 14,000 words. Is that problematic <laughs> at all? Oh, you know, Not it's just a, at all, right? like a 70 minute listen. Yeah, if you yeah. want to listen to the article. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's the delay. <laughs> that's some editing stuff. Uh, we're going to keep it light up top because the feedback was anything but. Well, I've already blown that because we're, how far are we? Oh, 20 minutes into it. Fantastic. Well, we haven't seen each other. Oh, just uh, as some quick news. Uh, I'm going to share in the notes, I'm going to share a link to YouTube to watch Matt Christman from Chapo, Trap House, do a video about uh, capitalism 
kind of critiquing the movie The Founder with Michael Keaton. Hmm. And doing that for two reasons. Number one is, strangely, it was one of the things uh, as I was coming to the epilogue for socialism that I was going to do a pull quote from. But I don't really quote Chapo or, you know, really don't pull anything from Matt Christman. He he appears in a, in a lot of different places. I would say that he's probably he's probably one of the one of the most intelligent and also cynical leftists in the entire left political sphere. But, you know, some people do not like the Chapo Trap House presentation. So I don't really quote from it a lot, even though I think that the that he in particular is brilliant and Felix is as problematic as I find Felix's takes. Uh, he's extremely funny and has a I mean, he just has a sense of humor like um, you, d- you don't really come across. Anyway, Matt Christman has actually is on a leave of absence from Chapo because he just had even though he's expecting, I think uh, he and his wife are expecting their first child in a matter of like a week or something like that. He had some sort of tragic health turn that is going to keep him out indefinitely, they say. And I guess they are at the hospital kind of um, just kind of taking turns, not really sure what the outcome is going to be. So I follow Matt Crispin actually a lot. And when he's not in the Chapo format and not just, you know, just being entirely cynical and, and throwing everything out the window, probably one of the smartest Marxists that you'll find in the left ecosystem. The Smarxists that you'll find in the left ecosystem. So... Uh, just a personal shout out that uh, wishing him all the best and yes. obviously wishing his family all Get the best well. with their delivery. Now, with that, I'm going to go over to somebody else that I admire, but certainly more in the mainstream, although with a left publication, The Intercept. Uh, I want to quote something from Ryan Grimm. It's the only headline that we're going to do today. It's a very straightforward juxtaposition of what's happening right now with a couple of important nuggets that are tucked into the introduction that we've covered before. So I think it'll be familiar for people. So let me just get to it really quickly. This is a quote from the article, quote, In a rather striking split screen today, Joe Biden became the first president ever to walk a union picket line, grabbing a bullhorn and using the word we to rally striking auto workers. His Federal Trade Commission teamed up with 17 attorneys general to sue Amazon for unfair competition, which was fun to see Jeff Bezos's Washington Post report. And the FCC, finally under the control of Democratic commissioners, announced it would be moving to restore net neutrality rules undone by Trump. Over on the Republican side, the House GOP continued barreling toward a government shutdown over dot, dot, dot. What exactly? To put it simply, Republicans previously agreed to a very specific deal to fund the government, have not made any serious demands or proposed any way forward that would keep the government open, yet they're still pushing for a shutdown. When I read that sentence back to myself, it sounds unusually partisan, but it's just the simple truth. And I don't see any other way to say it honestly. End quote. So what I like about Grimm, which I've said before, is that I do find him incredibly even-handed and he has a lot of insight into the, he has an oversized insight into the day-to-day machinations in DC for somebody who reports for The Intercept. So The Intercept is usually lobbing bombs from the left and and doing so with respect to foreign policy, civil liberties. So you can, you can imagine that it was modeled after Scahill's reporting and Glenn uh, Greenwald's reporting on civil liberties. You know, he's he's a very straightforward reporter who has a tremendous amount of access, but also doesn't kind of capitulate to that access and will always kind of tell the, the straightforward truth and has a really good finger on the pulse. So this to me was was important for a couple of reasons. First off, in that first paragraph, he goes over a couple of things that we've been talking about. We did an episode on Amazon. We've obviously done uh, just finished the episode on unions. 
And uh, we did a two-part episode on the FCC. Said no one ever. My God. Uh, nobody. I don't think anybody listened to those episodes, but we find They were highly requested by Knudsen. Definitely Knudsen. And ooh, there was one other listener that was uh, that was very into it. So we did it for those two. And it was actually a fascinating run. And so uh, this is, okay, without revealing when you were born, how important is 9-11 to you? <laughs> is nine, Are we on a first date? <laughs> is 9-11... That's, that's what I open with. <laughs> really? No. God. So here's here's um, an argument that I heard somebody making the other day, which I thought, which I thought was pretty insightful, that for a couple of generations now, 9-11 is a historical event. Even if they were alive when it happened, it was a historical event. And that those generations now have a different relationship to privacy than the mm. generations that were, I'll say, maturely sentient during that time. So definitely old enough to be in the world, have lived through a couple of decades of, of you know, holding on to, you know, civil liberties and holding on to privacy and, and sort of fighting that battle. Not even fighting the battle, just having the assumption that your privacy is sacrosanct and protected. Uh, and then saying that these next generations that grew up with literally no privacy aren't able to conceptualize it in the same visceral way as older people are. And that's why they don't care as much about it. It's also a cultural meme. Like, the you've seen the memes of, like, them telling Bush about it, right? Yeah. Like the guy leaning over mm -hmm. and, you know, that's just a meme template now. Like a, something, you know, something, something. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm. Ew. <laughs> uh, no comment. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think they're funny. Okay. See that? I think, okay. There you go. Well, I remember it very vividly. You do? Yes. Okay. I mean, how could you not? I had a unique Vividly experience. like I remember the space shuttle probably exploding because I was in like third grade. Yeah. That kind of vivid. Well, I mean... It's just one of those days that, like, you don't know what you never forget. <laughs> so right. I remember it. I probably wasn't old enough to think about it in the way you just presented it. But I definitely was dialed in just, I think, by nature of my family being always, like, pretty liberal and open and not really <laughs> censoring the news mm -hmm. of, like, what was happening to our society. Do you think that that's a because I don't I don't know if you can research this. I don't know how you would test this. Uh, but just the supposition that that younger people do they have a different relationship to privacy. Yeah, I mean, you can just look at social media in terms of privacy. We've been putting our lives out there mm -hmm. publicly for since, you know, Facebook started in 2004. So let's say got the ability to upload pictures in 06, you know, for 17 years now. Right. We don't care about privacy. It's coming back around where like. Thank God I'm my age and not 16, 17 now, you know, and the the shit kids put out now, TikToks and just putting themselves like on YouTube the way it is. And I, I did read something about the shocking level of access that TikTok has to your other apps and activities. That's right the down whole reason I'm not on. Like, that was why I never joined TikTok. It wasn't about being... Like at the beginning, TikTok was genuinely a privacy concern to our country. Yeah. Like that wasn't a that wasn't fake. Right. They were they were taking data that they shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like Facebook did it, too. So it's not un uh, unique to them. But I was like, I'm not. What I was reading was a, a, a data specialist that was talking about the how what tick what TikTok takes compared to the metadata that is scraped by the Facebooks, the, the Instagrams, et cetera. 
is orders of magnitude much more severe. Yeah, it's why their algorithm algorithm mm. their algorithm is so good. Yeah, because they they're taking they're making a thumbprint or whatever they call it in mm. Spotify. You know, I don't care if they listen to my take my music listening habits and make me a good playlist. Like that's not harmful, mm -hmm. but knowing so much about me and like influencing my my purchases, that's why I never joined TikTok. Yeah. So if you want me to start a UNF care TikTok, you're going to have to get me a work phone. Well, I, I mean, it, yeah, it's <laughs> there's definitely more to talk about with that because, uh, you know, I share a lot of the the discomfort that you do, you know, like us not posting on X Twitter anymore. I get it. It's probably holding us back. Us not being on TikTok. I get it. It's probably preventing us from exposing ourselves into a, a, a different uh, market. And at the same time, I'm not sure that the juice is worth the squeeze. You know what I mean? So uh, kind of like rather do it the hard way. Yeah. Well, Elon is going to charge $8 a month. Did you see that? No. That's his tentative plan to charge everybody $8 a month. Cool. The world's richest man. Cool. He also tweeted at Taylor Swift, who shared like, like she tweeted. And he said something like, you know, you should really like share your music on X and like upload videos. So everyone is like world's richest man tries to use famous woman to make money or something yeah he's wow. a he's a bozo that same article that i read was talking about uh even though x is losing way more money it still continues to gain followers at the the at the same almost the identical uh rate that it had before so People it's still just growing don't care well i think we've moved past that window where it was like a hot topic about the hate speech and it's still happening it's just people yeah. are used to it and we're avoiding it yeah but that doesn't go away like anti-semitic content's still there so i don't want to be there right right uh my so my point of bringing that up is to yes big tangent is actually to well to talk about uh the fcc to talk about net neutrality and even the ftc so you're talking about a couple of things that are not really they're headline worthy to news junkies and some in the business community i think but th these are not get out and vote issues that people are, are going to be galvanized by. Like, you know, oh, yeah, Biden's, you know, forcing the FCC to have the net neutrality discussion again. That I think it could be important to the people who I mean, if the people who are aware, I think it's very important. Right. And I think it could be the, the way that we it was everywhere when net neutrality was ending. You know, I feel like I couldn't go two minutes without seeing it somewhere online. That could happen again. So I'm um, I'm saying that in the spirit of like the uh, the debate that we shared a couple of weeks ago with Crystal and Kyle and Brianna Joy Gray. They were basically talking about like what's the thing when you get to the polls that would make you say I'm third party, I'm Biden, I'm Trump. What's the th what's the thing you're carrying with you? And Kyle's point was I'm about to list, and he did. He listed like 30 things that he felt were, were so tipped in uh, tipped the balance into uh, Biden's favor over anybody else. And yet he's polling at like 30 percent still. Mm. And he's polling behind Trump. And what are those things that, that are going to get you over? And it's almost like it, when it comes down to crunch time, it, yes, it's the economy, stupid. But also the the boring shit is not what galvanizes voters. And there's a, there's an element of of flash that's forcing us to miss a lot of the substance. And again, this is not a this is not a, a pro Biden tirade. It's just yet again, these are things that in his own time, <laughs> in his own sleepy Joe time, we're getting there. And I don't think that he should be the next president, but I do think the next president should continue 
a lot of these really boring fundamental things that these that this particular administration is doing. So I, I guess the way we characterize it now is like this is one of the best bureaucratic administrations that we've seen maybe in in several decades. Hmm. Just on pure bureaucracy, they just know how to. There's like so many professionals at work right now doing the hard work, but you don't want to see it undone. Obviously, um, I I am I'm not as I'm not as sanguine about him standing on a, a picket line, you know, standing, barely standing <laughs> on a picket line with a with a bullhorn. And I don't know, that just seemed hey. very political. That just seemed. Can you do it? Manny, can you give me a bullhorn noise? <laughs> hey, oh, that was loud. Hey, even I can hear that. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Where am I? Anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel as as great about that, uh, you know, flash for the cameras, but... I don't know. I think it's important. I think it's important to show solidarity, even if it is just optically. Yeah, and, and I... <sighs> missing was that he had the opportunity during the, the rail strike to do that and more because that... Because he loves trains. Le- I love trains. That landed specifically on his desk because of the act from the 30s. Like, that was truly up to him. The 30s? Yeah, just the railroad. So there, there's a carve out for the railways. Okay. Whereas this strike is is more universal, so it's easier to show solidarity, but when it really when push really came to shove. He learned. He <laughs> backed away. Yeah, he, he learned it. He learned at about optics. Yeah. Their marketing team is getting better yeah. and their PR team. Um, I'm just saying we ended the writer strike. We didn't yes, talk we about did. it. Yes, we, we did. We released the episode, mm-hmm. and that day they were coming to terms, and then they closed on what Sunday? Yep. I mean, yeah, yes. We've done this before. Again. I think we actually ended the other strike. The railroad strike. I think no, we did no, as well, it was right? the uh, Kellogg. Strike. Oh, the Kellogg strike. We, we absolutely ended that. did. Yeah. God, we're getting good at this. Uh, okay, let's have thoughts and prayers, and all think about actors. Ready? I'm <sighs> thoughts and prayers for Alec Baldwin. You think that guy will work again? Probably. He's probably close to it, right? I mean, it's got yeah, we close have to it. Racists, rapists. You know what I'm so mad about? We just need murderers. You know what I'm so mad about the Mel Gibson thing. Yes. How did you know? So you told me already. I did. And just not on mic. Sorry, I could have let you have it. So frustrated. I know. I they this Put him I and John Wick. I was saying to my roommate, I was like, if I was one of those actors and I found out he signed on, I would immediately quit the project. And I know that's like, oh, easy for you to say, but I'm like, no. You have to be principled about these things. Like, why are we letting these people still work? Especially someone like him, who is consistently, continuously racist and pretending he's not against black people and Jewish people. Oh, yeah. So racist. Hardcore. Yeah. With zero apologies no. to it. Just Gone are the days. Gone are the days of like, we all knew Alec, well, Alec Baldwin was a shitbag the whole time. And we were like, it's fine. You know, like, we can't do that anymore. We got to. I don't think he meant to murder somebody. But then no. again, we <laughs> he, know he's. A, he's he a pointed dead. the gun and pulled the trigger. Yeah. Um. There was a funny Onion article that said, like, Nation could swear that Russell Brand already convicted sex offender. <laughs> it's like, it's so true. Just, uh, don't mean to laugh that hard, but it's so true. It yeah, really he has is. that energy. So it was only a matter of time. Yeah. And he really went off the deep end. Yeah, he and he he needs to go down for this. This he needs this needs to be a successful cancellation because I think it will. He he's already The evidence is pretty pretty bad. It, like normal people have already canceled him for all of his alt-right views. 
so this is just like the nail in the coffin. So if mm-hmm. the the if I mean the people who don't care about the all right stuff, they'll say it's cancel culture. Of course, and yeah. they'll say that it, none of the allegations are true. Right. That it's a yeah. Even though they're what is it six years? I think it's a six year investigation or something like that. I yeah. I didn't yeah. read. I didn't get too deep into. So it, it. would have started when he was a leftist. Yeah. In people's eyes. And then, you know, concluded finally when he was on the alt-right. <laughs> there was, it was like, there was a tweet that, or Instagram, that was uh, the Get Him to the Greek poster. And it was like, bad week for Get Him to the Greek fans because of all the Jonah Hill stuff. What's going on with Jonah Hill? You didn't see those. I mean, this is going back like maybe a month and a half. The text with him and his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. The yeah. controlling, like <laughs> awful controlling. These are just my boundaries and you're not allowed to surf in, in bathing suits and you can't have male friends. It's like, that's not your boundary. Yeah. That's you being a dick. Yeah. Really bad. Your favorite documentary that you watched. It and it, it still makes me mad that I lost that time. <laughs> still makes me mad. That's going to be like if, God forbid, you and your wife ever decided... That would be like number one on the list. You made me watch that. Yeah. That horrible documentary. Or it would be it would be like the final. You'd be like, end. <laughs> you made me watch Stutz. Is that what it was? Stutz? Something Stutz. like that. I don't fuck. I didn't watch Stupid. it. I don't think you should make a documentary with your therapist. I think it's a conflict of interest. Completely. Like that's your therapist. And it was just one of the most just self-indulgent pieces of shit that I'd ever seen. And I clearly he's it. not a good therapist because if that's what he taught him, <laughs> no bueno. So the other half of Grimm's split screen here is I th- I think it's pretty accurate. The, the the House Republicans are eating themselves alive and it's just a wild thing to watch. The point of this article, the point of a lot of the coverage about the government shutdown is that everything related to the shutdown, anything that they could even fantasize about holding as a bargaining chip was negotiated already. It's done. It's over. There is nothing that they can ask for based upon the agreements that are already inked. We want AOC to resign. I mean, what is it? I made that up. They're just they're literally just trying do you I don't think know. they want vacation? No, I think Matt Gates just loves the cameras. And I, I, I've I, said this before in the podcast, and I, and I said this to somebody recently, that the worst thing that you can do, even though we make fun of him and we call him butthead and we imitate him and all that kind of stuff, you cannot call this man stupid. He is not stupid. If you watch him, if you just leave him to his own devices, as many on the right do, and they only listen to him... It's not like listening to, you know, a Lauren Boebert. It's just not. He is really practiced and skilled at this. You might not like his face when he's speaking. You might just, he might make you cringe. But if you just listen to him in isolation and you are in that echo chamber, he is, he is not a stupid guy. And that's what makes him so dangerous. And you know who is dumb when you look at him and you listen to him and you see the things that he says is Kevin McCarthy. He's he's not a sharp guy. And so Matt Gates is win is having his way with him because he's actually just smarter. And that that pains me to say, but it's it's always troubling when you find the really crooked but very clever person who gets just the tiniest bit of power. Because I can see a day if this guy stays tenured long enough where he's legitimately in charge of of the Republican caucus in the House. Caucus. I mean he basically is now. Uh, you said cock. Us. Uh, <laughs> us cock. Can I have a sidebar? Yeah. I watched a documentary. Um, 
I almost watched it and then someone talked about it on a podcast and I was like, okay, I'll watch it. I watched the Anthony Weiner documentary. <laughs> there is one? Yeah. It was an absolute pleasure to see a Democrat not cowering. Married to one of Hillary Clinton's closest advisors. He never backed down from anybody. A photo of an anonymous man's bulging underwear. It was tweeted from Congressman Weiner's account. Today I am announcing my resignation from Congress. He, like he like made it. Like it was like Was it oh, was it during his comeback? It was when he was running for governor. Yes. And then the, the second scandal broke. Yes. Um and they caught all of the shit they caught like the marriage falling apart on camera. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think it was an interesting watch. It could have been shorter. But what got me was like at the beginning, this <laughs> sex scandal aside, I was like, I kinda like this guy. He was yelling at people. <laughs> he was yelling I at love Congress. Anthony uh, I thought he was great. Okay, because I thought that was maybe like a hot take that like I thought he was kind of interesting. And yes, he solicited images from a minor. That's bad. I'm sorry. I was just looking up because I had this fever dream that, that you saw it? his ex-wife, Huma, Huma, was dating somebody really famous. And it, and it was yes. Bradley Cooper. Yes, I think they're still dating. Uh, these are all old links. I can't find something relatively new. Maybe, maybe not, but... That's kind of wild. Yeah, huh? there was a quote in there that said it was like Hillary has previously said, you know, my only daughter is Chelsea, but if I had another daughter, it'd be Huma. Like that's oh, how, yeah. that's how, you know. Well, she's another brilliant one. And she basically said, you know, you have to leave. Like she was like, don't repeat my mistake. She said, if you want to continue, I mean, she didn't say it on the record, but like it was implied. If you want to continue working for me, you got to leave. He's really gross, Anthony Weiner. Like, I never understood. I always thought that Huma Abedin was kind of pretty. And, she is and pretty. Just, and, and smart, so. And she's so fucking smart. Yeah. And, like, super elegant. And, yeah. It, and it was a it weird couple, period. Never made any sense. But I was they just, like. They like, kid together, too, I think. They right? do, one, yeah. One, one kid. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know anything about it because I was surprised at the timeline of it. Because I was old enough where I should have picked up on it, but. I just did. I didn't really know anything other than like the jokes. Do you remember him going crazy on the house floor? Yes, they played. Who was the, he yelling at? The what? What is it like? The gentleman will not. Yes. Whatever. But yeah, so I just wanted to get your take because I was like, I kind of liked him. I thought he was kind of cool. I loved him. John like Stewart's fresh, roommate in college. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. So he used to come on the show until he didn't. <laughs> but then at the end, remember, remember the episode we did with. Here we go. Mr. Wiener. Great. We want amendments. We want debate. We want amendment, but we're still a no. Let's get to that. Still an end vote no. Instead of standing up and defending your colleagues and voting no on this humane bill, you should urge them to vote yes, something the gentleman has not done. Oh, I want to get... correct in sitting. I will not... This is quite obviously not in order. General suspend. <laughs> I will not stand here and listen to my... Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. Um, We did that episode where we did we did a Republican rehab with Bush and I can't remember off the top of my head. But the three Republic, it was a quickie, an early one, about how we're recycling these Republicans and re rehabilitating them. And now they're just little, you know, funny pundits. John Boehner and Rick Santorum. Right, because I knew there, I knew there was a boner joke. I was like, something Wiener boner. <laughs> like I knew there was something. Um, but it, it, at the end of the documentary, I mean, again, this the scandal ended in like twenty third, or not ended, but broken. Like the second one broke in like twenty thirteen. Documentary didn't come out till twenty sixteen for some reason. Mm. But like at the end, there were clips of him on like doing the talk show circuits, 
and he would make you know make a make a joke about the scandals and you know oh i'm not the best person to ask and it reminded me of that in the same way of like i think there was a shot there where they were trying to rehabilitate him before he fucking oh, went yeah. to prison yeah but definitely it was kind of it was then he came out and he owned i remember this because we're in new york but he became after prison the ceo of like a renewable energy company or something like that really? he was there for a couple of years yeah that's and weird now I, I don't know what he's doing i don't but. remember reading that in his wikipedia wikipedia wiki but yeah it was um an interesting watch it was like a cultural moment that i should have been present for but it, it's just you know they had clips from colbert john stewart as well uh, I think John Stewart had to do a Kimmel. whole sidebar and be like, "All right, look." Yeah, and but the jokes were so hack, you know. Like they had a guy come out dressed in like like a giant mascot of like the gray underwear. Oh my god! Like, but it, you know, <laughs> when you look back at it, it's all so hack. Yeah. But that's just what it is. Still, you know, it's just topical and all that bullshit on late night TV. But it, by the way, speaking of scandal, like we are really in the middle of a, of a pretty incredible one with the Bob Menendez allegations. Oh yeah. The, the man I thought who, you were going to say Jimmy Fallon because of he oh, got no. well he he was apparent everyone was like you're a bad boss and he was like sorry yeah everyone was like you're drunk and he was like uh sorry stop. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um no uh Menendez who I believe is unrelated to the pretty, Menendez brothers is he <laughs> is pretty well I think the most responsible he's not solely responsible by any stretch but the most responsible for keeping U.S. relations with Cuba stuck in the mud exactly where they were for the last 50 years. He's the one that's that's most culpable in all of that. Hasn't he been in some of our sketches? Yes, yeah. And I, Cuba. The, Cuba. That's, I, all, the, I only ever write him saying, uh, but Cuba, and then they're Cuba, Cuba. That's it just, he's like, a, he just hits that one single note. Well, he, he has two notes. He has Cuba and Israel. That's it. That's all the, all the man stands for. But really couldn't happen to a nicer guy. My man had fucking gold bars. Spitting gold bars. Cash in coats. He went to cash for gold. He might have. I don't think you get those like old fucking <laughs> like Nazi gold bars. Oh, we that, went different you know? directions. <laughs> I mean, did you see the pictures of the, of the stash from his fucking house? I did not. He had like breaking bad bricks of cash. How much is this? I have no earthly idea. Stuffed in coats and closets. And I mean, my man in was fairness, so In fairness, so did take. my grandma when they were cleaning out her house. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just has dementia. <laughs> Holy You're gonna shit. You're going to get us. <laughs> He's so fucking corrupt. All right, let's get into yeah. uh, emails. <laughs> so We've got like, the hour preamble. Yeah. That's what I, every time, every time we're away. Well, we missed each other. Yeah. Yeah. Lots I, to talk I started about. like itching and, you know, started to get like hives being away from you. So I feel yeah. better. I feel more settled. Okay. Now. That's good. Yeah. I'm your, I'm your antihistamine. You are up first, by the way. I am. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is episode specific feedback. Yes. For strike. Yes. Okay. Just checking sometimes. I know. You know. Uh. All right. We, so we got Maureen from Boston. Since Jay from Best of the Left convinced me to listen to you, I've done that at almost the exact hour your podcast lands. Once again, your recent take on the need for the working class to somehow gather together to accomplish real change was right on point. Manny's input was at just the right spots too. Brad O's recordings last week set a good tone earlier too, but I just really miss 99. Well, I am back. So later on, Maureen says, on the same podcast where you call out the divide and conquer ploy, you rant against old people. I can agree that many of the old people in Congress and the White House should probably retire, but don't throw the granny out with the dishwasher. <laughs> Excuse me, dishwater. I'm among the oldest of the boomers. I am let down by many my age who protested against Vietnam and for civil rights and have since been corrupted by judgmentalism, 
greed from success, discouragement from failure. Sometime I'll write about how harmful striving for success hurts us, but for today, I'll let that go. Loss of loves, disappointment in children, substance abuse, and the rest. But a lot more of us are flower children under the wrinkles. I know there's a logjam of old rich people in the channels of our government. But as you say, we need professionals, those who are in place to help implement good stuff. I agree. Set mandatory retirement ages. See us as wise elders if you need to, if you need to other us. Don't waste us in your disdain for a few. I love this on so many different levels, and there was more to it that we clipped down. But Maureen from Boston, first of all, thank you for writing in. I appreciate you. Uh, and I missed 99 as well. So thank you for calling that out. And and I think I'm actually pretty well on the record that I'm not even in favor of term limits. I'm in favor of fixing democracy so that bad people don't get to stay in jobs for too long. Uh, and we don't have the ability to, you know, craft districts in, in really harmful ways to marginalize people. And I'm in favor of mandatory execution. And and then there's that. Uh, Maureen, you would make the cut because even at over 75, uh, if you approach that, then um, you are a woman. Yes, I women believe. and non-binary people make the cut. They make the cut. Yeah. So you are not an old white man in, in, in as much as we can tell. So you would be safe from uh, 99's uh, guillotine. That said... I do have disdain for, it just so happens that a lot of the people I have great disdain for are some of the older people in Congress right now. I, I blame the handlers around certain people. Like I certainly blame the whoever's, you know, handling Dianne Feinstein and whoever's handling Mitch McConnell right now. I think it's cruel to keep them in the public eye for them just specifically, no matter how much I dislike them personally. And I think it's really bad for the country just to keep people in these positions so that they can hold on to the to the vote when they need it. So an um, RBG an RBG. So, yeah, yeah there seeing. is an element of like, hey, you know, move aside, let the structures, let the power structure shift and, and let people come up. We're going to have a, a pretty capable and and seasoned, credible crop of young progressives who are really coming into their own over the next several years. And I think that the Democrats have a have a much, much deeper and more policy oriented, uh, more intellectual bench, certainly than the Republicans do. But, you know, it's going to be a little while before we can tap into them. So I know that there has to be a there has to be a bridge to get there. But I don't disagree with you on, on a lot of these points. I was actually listening to, um, you know, my favorite uh, guilty pleasure podcast is the rewatchables. And this week they're actually going over the big chill, which was sort of like captured the boomer zeitgeist at the moment that they got into like their late 30s and began to realize that they they had to look inward and uh sort of get away from the idealism of their youth because they realized that they had a mortgage to pay for kids to pay for that they had to you know all of the all of the realities that come kind of you know crashing down on our heads as you get a little bit older and that they moved away from you know the activism of their youth and it's it's them kind of like dealing with that and i think that that was it was actually a really neat discussion to listen to that and to, and to revisit that and that movie's old now that movie like really goes back did you ever see it you ever hear of it i can't tell because the there's so show? many movies that have like a name like that it spawned a ton of copycats but so it was, i don't it was know if perfect. I've, I've heard of it or really know of it the young kevin klein glenn close oh kevin costner's first so film, is this like a he was cut period piece because if the boomers were in their 30s, yeah, what year is that? Uh, I, so I want to say it came out in the early 80s or something like that. Early to mid 80s. That's boomers are in their 30s then? 
that feels young. So yeah, late 30s. I think that their age in the movie was like 37, 38 years old, something mm. like that, right? There's no way Kevin Klein was that old then. <laughs> no, I said young. Yeah, but yeah, if they were playing, oh, that was playing 37. Yeah, that's old. That's uh, probably like 12. <laughs> yeah, they were probably playing up, playing a William Hurt. Mm. Um, yeah. So anyway, just it just kind of a, a, a neat time to to think about that and how uh, this generation, that generation, you know, walked away from some such hardcore activism. But anyway, Maureen, thank you for writing in. Appreciate you, and I would never ever throw the granny out with the dishwater. I think it also, you know, just one note on that is that we as a culture we often look to the late 60s and 70s flower children hippies all liberals but there was the other side of it where the jesus hippies and that probably was the foundation of a lot of our sure evangelical right that we have now sure so they might have looked the same and also and- we've talked about before how they were actually if you just look at it by the polls and who wound up in office during that period they were still they were a minority they were the vocal minority yeah, they were the standouts, but there was far, you know, there were more that were coming out of that generation that were w- way more conservative. Yeah. Next up, we have Nicholas DS. Some people will fight for a labor movement, but no one's going to fight for a labor rounding error. That's why we should call it the labor movement, even if the strikes happening now are a lot smaller than the previous strike waves. I appreciate that. You know, I was just making more of a a, a point of, about the idea that it, you know we're, we call it a movement right now and. You're talking facts and numbers. Nicholas is talking branding. Without a doubt. And but one of the reasons I I still have trouble calling it a movement is because I think it softens us to the idea that there is one when we need we we still need 10 times the activism that we have now. For example, so if the actors wind up making a deal in the next week or so, along with the writers, then even with the auto strike, assuming that it goes on, you're talking about more than half of the strikers would have been back to work. So it would have been settled out. So we're still talking about about 150,000 people of which the auto market workers make up now about 20,000 people. So if they go back to work, then you just kind of see where it's going. It's just, it's still a rounding error. And I know you're talking about the branding of it, but I feel like if we brand it as a movement, it is going to falsely lull people into thinking that it exists and they do not have to pay attention or ask for more. But I, I totally get the sentiment of where you're coming from. Now, uh, Patty McGee is... Is Did, is this new that you're calling him Patty? <laughs> have we never called him Pat, Patrick? Patrick McGee. Patrick McGee. Patrick McGee? Yeah. Oh, Patty McGee. I know. you. I saw it and I didn't change it because I thought maybe you had a bit built up in your head. No. No, I didn't. We never called him that before. So it's usually just straightforward. I definitely did. Okay. All right. Patrick McGee is is done with us and 99 is going to tell you why. Yeah. So Patrick said, in recent days, I've not followed you as closely as I once did. I do know that you have in the past occasionally quoted from worldsocialistwebsite.org. Unfortunately, you seem to have missed perhaps one of their most strongly held positions. Unions, as they exist currently, are bogus. Specifically, union management is in bed with corporate management and neither are working in the worker's interest. Then later on, Patrick says, you're a fan of Sean Fain at UAW. He's been on the job five months. His initial strike asked for only about 9% of the auto workers to leave their jobs. And then a little later again, as far as I can tell, Socialist Equality Party and World Socialist website are the only, quote, lefty organizations which acknowledge that current unions are corrupt and should be abandoned. Everyone else says that union membership should be promoted. Until this significant issue is resolved, there's really not much point in talking about unions, is there? 
What might you learn by devoting a phone a friend episode with someone, David North, from SCP-WSW.org? Don't think they're legit, then don't quote them. The new NLRB ruling? Get back to me in a year and show me how much difference this has made on the ground. If it has made no significant difference, then that is one more indication that voting for a Democrat makes no difference. As before, I continue to have problems when you promote the work and ideas of third-party candidates from U.S. history. Eugene Debs as an example, but then refused to support current third-party candidates, one of whom, quote, wants to be the head of the empire in order to dismantle the empire, Cornell West. Yes, I heard the question you posed to Cornell West on Manny's podcast. Dismissive much? Until then, I can only conclude that you are a sheep herder for the Democratic Party. I think we're done here. I regret saying so. Okay, so I wanted I, I highlighted these different sections because I, I think that they're really worth going over. And this is not, you know, a vain attempt to keep uh, Patrick McGee in the fold. If, if he's if he's yeah. done with us, he's done with us. And that and that's fine. But I, I do want to address that he's teasing out sort of the multifaceted approach that we take on the podcast and the fact that we can hold space for two ideas about a single topic simultaneously in our minds. Let's just go through this one by one because I think it's important that I've missed one of the most strongly held positions uh, from the WSWS.org, that unions as they currently exist are bogus. Specifically, union management is in bed with corporate management and neither are working in the workers' interests. So specifically here, I don't think that unions are bogus necessarily. So I am holding that thought in my mind because I think that if you look at it on balance, the unions fight for more fairness, more equity in the workplace, and more stable, more stable outcomes in terms of employment, more protections for workers. On the other hand, there are workers in the private sector in similar roles that are paid way more than union workers. That's a different criticism entirely. I believe that unions are there to provide protections for workers, especially within systems that are more public facing and and like the service unions that we have, the trade unions we have, nurses, teachers, those type of things. I think they're very important because they prevent workers just being dismissed en masse, which would create public crises during periods of a downturn. So that's good. But the other side of this is by very specific criticism of promoting unions in this country is that I think I said specifically that they are in bed with corporate management by nature of what they're fighting for. So I didn't say that they are inherently corrupt because I don't think that's useful. I don't think that's helpful. But even if we, if we again, if we channel the words of, of Proudhon and Bakunin, they believe that any organization that was put in a position of power would be corruptible if it wasn't power that was taken from the bottom up. So any union that is organized where there is, even through you know elections, where there are people at the top of the union that represent the workers' interests without the workers knowing, that's a problematic situation. I didn't go all the way down that road, but I'll agree with you there, Patrick. On the flip side, my entire thesis was based around the idea that no matter how good a union is, it actually works specifically in conjunction with the capitalist structure because it fights to maintain aspects of wage slavery. Hard stop. So I think we're more in agreement there than you gave me credit for. I'm a fan of Sean Fain at UAW. He's been on the job five months. Okay, I don't know what that has to do with anything. His initial strike asked for only about 9% of the auto workers to leave their jobs. I do believe it would have been more effective to ask everybody to walk off the job. What I appreciate about the strategy 
was that he added an element of media manipulation and surprise to it by not saying who was going to walk off the job. Now, we do know that GM, Ford, Chrysler, all were able to continue operating and that it will be a marginal slowdown. So he's not bringing the system to a grinding halt as we would if we did a an industrial, uh, you know, a full worker walk off and a general strike, right? Even a general strike within all of the trades. So that's not happening. But it also wasn't part of his strategy. But what he did say was, this is my start. You're not going to know where. And then I'm just going to keep going. And he has. And now Ford's at the table. If GM doesn't come to the table along with them and Chrysler doesn't come along with them, he's going to shutter more plants and they're not going to know where. I think that that is an interesting strategy for one reason, because we're fucking talking about it. It's like Minesweeper. Yes, I love that analogy. And we're talking about it. It was a great media manipulation strategy because it gives him reason to be in front of the cameras every single day and to give people a reason to think that, ooh, something different may happen tomorrow. I'm not saying it's the best, most effective way, but it's working to an extent. If it doesn't work, then we can Monday morning quarterback it and say we should have had a general strike across the board. But let me ask you, would it have worked as well? I don't know. I don't know that you know that it would have worked. And if your supposition is that all unions are corrupt, why do you care? Let's go on. As far as I can tell, the World Worldwide Socialist website, World. WSWS. No, World, no, World Socialist, Socialist website. website. Are the only lefty organizations in the SEP, which is associated with it, that acknowledges that current unions are corrupt and should be abandoned. Okay. Until this significant issue is resolved, there's really not much point in talking about unions, is there? Then why do you care so much about Sean Fain at UAW? Let him do him. But I will agree with you that the WSWS is very anti-union. I think you can support or enjoy a resource and not agree with all their takes. That's precisely where I land. I do not agree with all the takes that I read on that website, and I cherry pick from them as well. Uh, also, I use I, I leverage the New York Times, as right. I've said before, for a lot of their domestic and city reporting, specifically when I'm looking at New York. And I love their travel writing and I love their arts and leisure section and their culture writing and all that kind of stuff. But I do not listen to them when it comes to foreign affairs and foreign policy. So that's part of just being, I think, media literate. It's part of being a person. And being a person. Not everything that is said at WSWS resonates with me. And I would love to do a phone a friend with David North because David North, and I know enough about the organization, Patrick, to know that he is an affirmed Trotskyite. I mean, a devout Trotskyite. In fact, he's probably one of the foremost modern authorities on Trotsky. And I don't believe that Trotsky was as nice as everybody likes to make him out to be. I wish you were like, I don't believe Trotsky existed. <laughs> he wasn't I'm a real a, I'm person. I'm a Trotsky denier. I love reading Trotsky. I think that he was probably one of the more brilliant minds that we've had in Marxist culture. Having said that, I don't lionize him to the extent that David North does. And I would actually, you know, and I would and I would press him on that. Once I'd really done, you know, my research. Yeah, and, that's better. Pastor confirmation bias. Oh, without a doubt. Interviews. And he would, uh, and he would likely eat me for lunch, and it would be a lot of fun. And I would, and I, and I would treasure that conversation because I think that the resource that he's given us is amazing. So I actually think that their take on all of the strikes and all of the union actions and the gains that some of the union actions have gotten is really fascinating. And it is truly from a pure Marxist perspective, and I appreciate it. 
But at the same time, I don't believe that you're the one that's capable of holding these two thoughts in, in your mind if you're going to be critical of what those unions are doing, but then say that we should do away with all unions as well and work somehow within the system. Like, I'm not sure exactly what you're agitating for. So I'd like you to be more clear about it unless you're truly I, done with us. I think I, from emails passed with Patrick, this is my supposition, Patrick, if you hear this, I admire his ability to be so staunch in his beliefs. Mm -hmm. And he wants absolution. Like, this yeah. is this. I don't think he sees wiggle room. And that's where he presses you. And I yeah. think that's what it is. And that's why I think we've devoted so much time and space because his emails are always incredibly well thought out. And we have a few people like that that, that are constantly pushing us. Nettie used to do that too. Constantly pushing us. Oh yeah, us. she just said, but she said like two sentences to be like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> do better. <laughs> be like, all right, sorry. Now the new NLRB ruling. Lorb. Get back to me in a year and show me how much difference this has made on the ground. If it's made no significant difference, then it's one more indication that voting for a Democrat makes no difference. <laughs> Can I say something quickly? Man. I feel like it's not fair to, to be like, get back to me in a year. It's like, well, just because it's new doesn't mean we can't talk about it. It's not our fault it's new. Not only that, but as, as I said in the episode, it is the single most significant development from an administrative standpoint in my lifetime. That's something. Since fucking Taft-Hartley. What are we talking about here? We That's something that we should cheer because it's the only thing that would actually allow for unfettered unionization across the board. If it doesn't make a difference, then I think it just goes back to my original thesis statement, which was that we are too fractured as a society. We have too many people in the so-called independent economy with gig workers, freelancers and part timers to even think about having a movement, which is why I was pushing for at the end worker cooperatives. So I think we're saying a lot of the same things, but coming at it from from different angles. But. We're kind of arriving at the same conclusion. I just don't think that you appreciate my logic in getting there. And Patrick also just hates the Democratic Party. Like, Oh, without a doubt. So, but this also, it, the way he framed it, no offense, Patrick, it reminds me of what Francesca was saying about um, the article about AOC, how the author only cherry picked her rulings and her votes. So it's like, okay, then cherry pick any party's policies and, you know, a new ruling mm -hmm. and then see if they work in a year. It's not just Democrats that this happens to. It's everybody. That's so right. it's like you can't just if you're going to rail against Democrats, just rail against the system. It would happen with third party people as well. Like mm -hmm. Freddie DeBoer was the author yes. of that, uh, the piece that Francesca and I were talking about. And and since then, I've realized that he's actually more. He actually carries more weight on the left than I originally thought because I hadn't really thought about I, I I didn't know him. Francesca even acknowledged she wasn't really aware of his work. And since then, I become aware of his work. Also, the algorithm keeps feeding me Freddie DeBoer stuff. But I realize he actually has uh, he's more culturally significant on the left. And I actually have him in the next episode, believe it or not. So hmm. it was interesting timing. Yeah. But as far as that voting for a Democrat makes no difference. Again, I'll just give you we have a six three generational Supreme Court majority. There you go. That's where voting for a Democrat actually did matter. Now, that may be distasteful, and I totally understand. For somebody who wants to blow up the entire fucking system and thinks that the court is illegitimate, but there are there are women who have gone to prison now for attempting to get an abortion. That's where we are because that's what happened when we elected a Republican and a Republican party that has no message other than to tear 
You talk about the people wanting to end the empire like Cornell West, so does the Republican Party because they see where the empire is trending and it's and it's trending in a direction that is at least culturally way more inclusive. Not only do they want to keep the spoils from the war that they've been waging since, you know, time immemorial, but they also want to punish, culturally punish people along the way in order to maintain what's theirs. So there is a, a difference between the two parties, and it's our job to force one of them because of the structural barriers that exist to allowing third party candidates to gain any sort of momentum. You think that my question to Cornell West was dismissive, but how, how was my question to Cornell West on the on the Newsbeat podcast that Manny produces? How is that? How is that an illegitimate question? Should should I self censor and just stand there in awe and fawn all over Cornell West because he's he's an intellectual that I admire despite having no on the ground political acumen? My critique of Cornell West was exactly the same as my critique of RFK and exactly the same as my critique of Marianne Williamson. There's no organizing element to their being. So even if they had full ballot access, and remember, when I did that episode, he was still with the People's Party, right? right? That was the nature of my question, which is not only is this a third party run, it's tilting at windmills because you're not even on the ballot in every fucking state. That was the nature of my question. Is that an illegitimate question? And I have already said on this podcast that if everything remains the same coming next year, because I am in New York, I am going to vote for Cornell West, if nothing else than to send a message that, my, that the displeasure that I have with the organization that is the Democratic Party, specifically in my state. And I have criticized the Democratic Party in this state way more than I've criticized even the National Democrats because I'm closer to it and I know them. So... You know, you can holler at the moon and shout at the rain all you want, but if you don't get busy fixing what's already there, it's like having a leaky house and you're just like, I'm so fucking mad at this house that I'm just going to move. Well, that's cool for you, but I'm going to stay in the house. I'm going to fix the fucking leak and then I'm going to get after all the other things that I want to get done. So I just don't, I just don't understand the burn the barn to get to the nails critique of absolutely everything. Yeah, because we have this conversation pretty often about mm -hmm. your third party because it's very um, sort of looking for divisive. It's very yep. divisive, your take on it. But I, don't, I mean, maybe I just spend too much time with you that I that I agree with you on things and you've indoctrinated me and groomed me. But it just seems logical that we would use the system we have already other rather than starting fresh because it's not possible. If we had an ideal world, sure. You know, Bernie could run on an independent party today and win yeah. because we all love Bernie so much. But right. it's just not it's just not possible. And I know it's like, well, if we don't try it, it'll never happen. But it's like, I don't know. Sometimes we just have to do what we can. Right. Well, that's why I also love going back into history. So those moments when like when we covered when Emma Goldman came to the United States, I think she was like eight or something like that. She was born in Poland and then grew up in Rochester or. What a great pipeline. Poland to Rochester. I, I know. Um, <laughs> Cold to Tundra. Or Bakunin, who traveled across the United States. And he was he was actually treated as like a like a you know mini celebrity when he got here because he was such an outsized and, you know, just an awesome figure. And, and they all had the same impression, which is. Boy, but for this fucking slavery thing, you know, and <laughs> that 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 this country, like, 
it still has a shot. Like they're just healing from that. Or you look at de Tocqueville coming here and saying like the forget about Southern institutionalized racism, that the racism that's inherent in the American people is more evident in the North than their attitudes towards black people in the United States. Like people being able to come here and see the United States more clearly than we can see itself is really instructive. But at the time, this is still during the industrial era when socialism had a real fucking shot at making it. Had a real, like was really on the ballot, was really on people's minds. And that's why World War One was so important. That's why industrialization was so important. That's why what happened through the Great Depression, through World War II, sealed the deal. The rise of the Communist Party in the Soviet Union also helped seal the deal in our minds because we identified that with socialism. Like all of that stuff has been now firmly embedded and imprinted on our DNA for 150 years. And the 100 years before that, was us trying to get over the fact that we codified slavery in order to become an industrial power. We had the opportunity to start fresh in this country. And what, uh, what's the, uh, from Copland? The oh. quote that I pulled from Copland with De Niro talking to Stallone, you blew it! And you blew it! He fucking blew it. We blew it over and over again because the men that formed this country were entitled, wealthy, right. industrialist slave owners. So we were fucked from Jump Street. Yeah, we came here and blew it. And, right, <laughs> we so, came here and said, you're mine, I own you. And it, but it was an open greenfield opportunity. And even still, they created so many things here that blew the minds of Europeans. Because it, the Europeans would come here and they'd be like, freedom. they were like, holy fucking shit, this is amazing. I mean, you know, but for the whole fucking slavery thing and the fact that women can't vote that's so weird but i don't even think women voting was a problem it was women as property well, it was a problem with uh prudone and it was a problem with with some of the the people that came here they're like you guys are really far behind in so many ways and yet you have this advanced vision of democracy that we just can't seem to find out and figure out in europe like this is fascinating shit but to come into the experiment 400 years into it and be like fuck it Take it all down. You're talking about going, moving to Greenland, colonizing it, and trying it all over with the the benefit of the last 400 years hindsight and where we fucked it up here. But this isn't the fucking world we live in, Patrick. This isn't the system in the hand that we were dealt. We got a quantum leap it coming soon to your screens. <laughs> they're, they're rebooting it. Quantum leap again? Yeah. Did that guy die? Scott Bakula? Yeah. No. Is uh, he still around? I think. Did Scott Bakula die? Because if, if he's still alive, they need to give him like a cool They're making, role, right? Quantum Leap, the man, they're making him Asian now. Woke culture. Okay. He's still alive. He is? Yeah. Okay. I'm I, happy I they're diversifying like a... Quantum Leap. We've needed that. Yeah, Because it's going to be weird, not weird at all to send the Asian man back in time. Is that okay to say the Asian man? Yeah, An Asian man? Sure. I don't know. I don't know his is name. Is there more than one? Oh my god! Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, Are I you just questioning whether I don't, there's is more it, than one Asian I, man. Is it saying like the Asians? Like, am I saying the same equivalent? I'm just saying it's funny, but also like we should suspend our disbelief that everyone had equal rights back in the day. Are is you, that bad? Are you assuming that quantum leap is going to take place in the? They United sent States him back to like pilgrim times. In I don't the United think States? we had Asian people here. I know, but is it only the United States? This isn't a global show. They don't go. It's not like Doctor Who where they go to different places in the world. Doctor Who, times. they mostly just go in like England and Europe. <laughs> they come to America once. And actually, Nixon was in it. Ooh, fun. Yeah, it was a good episode. Oh. Huh. But 
that's my there's a universe that i am so unfamiliar with i just know the headline that's it what's a question give me a question i'll answer it i don't don't even know what questions to ask aren't there like multiple hasn't it been on forever but then rebooted three times no so it's was there ever a movie that's my question yes there has been not i don't know if it went to theaters though okay Doctor Who's a Time Lord, and he regenerates. So that's how there's different actors, and that's how it keeps it going and keeps it alive and fresh. So it was on in the six, probably the 60s through the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Then there was a movie in like the 90s with the eighth Doctor. Who are the TARDIS? Who are the TARDIS? Yeah. What is the TARDIS? What is the TARDIS? Time and relative dimension in space. Doctor Who, the TARDIS. What's that? <gasps> you don't remember that song? No. From the late 80s? No, I wasn't nope. alive. Oh, yeah. Um, the TARDIS is his time machine. It's a telephone call box. But mm. it stands for time and relative dimensions. Wait, space. are you saying that the Matrix ripped that off from Doctor Who? Probably. Got to get the phone call to get out of the Well, he doesn't have to Matrix. make a phone call, but it just is a call box. And it's bigger on the inside. I sound angrier at Patrick than I actually Yeah, am. we're just fucking around. We love you. We do. And we, he's he's not going anywhere, right? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Patrick, you're the boy who cried wolf. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> or, as Max would say, the boy who cried wolf. Hope you stay with us. But that's how I feel about all that stuff. Let's move on. You ready? Is it me? Aaron now? N. Okay. Said, good to hear Max getting to the heat. Oh, the heart, heat of the meat. Ooh. Oh. My brain read that as heart of the matter, but it's, it's not that heat at all. Heat of the meat. Heat of the meat. On what could humanize life for the U.S. workers and some tactical unfucking strategy. I've been a fan of cooperatives for a while now, but was somewhat taken aback at the lack of social media promoting them. One of the many things that got Jeremy Corbyn smeared by the British media was his idea of his government setting up cooperatives to take over failing English businesses. I wasn't aware of that. What a what a really clever idea. Maybe Doctor Who came in and... <laughs> Maybe. Uh, something considered also, wait, crazy I have to, talk. I have to clarify. Sorry. I just said... Clever. I called him Doctor Who yeah. as a fan. We don't call him Doctor Who. Sorry. We call him the Doctor. I oh. said it. To you, and now I was like, I needed people to know I'm legit. Got it. So, like, I, I get it. We don't call him Doctor Who. Okay. He's the doctor. And also, sometimes the doctor's a woman. A woman. <laughs> sometimes the doctor's a woman. Okay. Is the doctor ever a they? Not yet. Not yet. But I think there have been many doctors who would very much jive with, you know, non-binary, androgyny, or male presenting female presenting depending on their status because they're always little they're always a little i think there's definitely some doctors who are queer coded that's what i'll say okay yeah okay um are you did you say c-o-a-t or coded c-o-d-e-d queer coded well they do wear coats but code okay yeah okay my favorite doctor is 11 (laughs) okay you got all the street cred you need i'm just telling people someone's gonna ask me okay 11, then 10, obviously. Obviously? Yeah. It's like you're speaking another language. I'm just saying numbers. Um, thank you, Aaron. Uh, I feel like that was a, a nice, healthy compliment to uh, to dig into after <laughs> yeah. Patrick's email. Uh, but now, oh, now let's go back across the pond over to Bobby McD. Yeah. Doctor Who, probably been Irish. So Bobby McD likes unions. Actually, I don't know if he's been Irish. Um, I think they do a good job and are an important buffer against the unfettered greed of corporations. Collective bargaining coverage in Ireland is about 34%. That's including public service. Union density membership levels among all workers is about 27 or 28%, which isn't bad, but still a ways off of being good. My union, the ASTI, Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland, is a poor union. Its leadership is weak, and while it's happy to shout from the sidelines, it shies away from the hands-on real work. 
that was close enough to what he wrote. The real hands-on work. Truthfully, I know I don't have it bad, and I'm glad there is a union, but I share this story to show that all unions aren't all rainbows. Yeah, I mean, we have so many similar stories here about unions that are really ineffective. As a matter of fact, a lot of the teachers' unions, uh, and as I've said before, 99 makes fun of me. I have just a lot of friends and family that are, <laughs> that are teachers. And, um, and the union leadership tends to be pretty poor, but what's really funny about it is that they take so much heat and criticism for what they take out of the pension system. And so it's like they really can't win because they, they get criticized for you know even having a union. Uh, and then again, they, the members themselves don't really have as many protections as are afforded in other unions. They love um, their stickers, though. Oh, they do. They do. They let them know. Union proud. Well, but proud. you know which ones I'm talking about. The black oval stickers. I sure do. Yeah. Sure that do. are well, from five years ago. they say union proud? I said, uh, union. No, it's stop, stop something. It was a stop. Yeah, don't vote again. Right, don't vote right. for something. You're right. But I don't remember what. Yeah. You'll still see them. Uh, the only union that I think should go away is the police union. It's the only one. I anyway. think now that I watch Chicago PD, I'm a cop sympathizer. So I think they should have their unions because they need to be protected. <laughs> You want me to cut that out? You want me to maybe cut that no, out? No, I'm just kidding. Everybody knows you're sarcastic. All right. I knew. I know you love that show. I think it's funny. Yeah. I think it's funny to watch bad TV. My daughter got into uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I think that's FD. Is that fire or is that? No, that's cut? that's police. That's police they also? Hate the, they hate the fire department. They hate the fire department. Okay. They actually, so they I just had a, a discussion with the, I was uh, at a, a youth soccer game, believe it or not. Whoa. And uh, had, a, had a cop to my left and a fireman on the right. And I just kept stoking. Uh, some bullshit between them, and and they get they they get to it pretty quickly if you just even just kind of bring it up. And I, yeah, I think they, they genuinely they hate each other. Yeah, they really go after it. So much fun. Yeah, but on Brooklyn Nine Nine, I think they did a good job post Black Lives Matter m- movement. I mean, they still matter, but um, about the lightheartedness of the show because like it's a comedy and it, you can't just sit around and laugh mm-hmm. when like black people are being murdered. So. so funny enough, uh, the DeBoer piece that I'm going to quote in the epilogue is about the ineffectiveness of basically all leftist movements from Occupy to Me Too to Black Lives Matter. And I couldn't, again, disagree more. I think that's <laughs> unfair to the women who spoke out and all the black people. Exactly. <laughs> Every single one of them. Yeah. Freddie. So I'm trying to figure out if it, I really have to dig into Freddie more because I'm trying to figure out if he is uh, like an agent provocateur. On it the left. sounds it's like it. Yeah, it's, it's strange. I mean, he says so many things that are really, really on point and very important. He's a pretty bright dude, but isn't that how they do it though? Yeah, they sandwich it. It's like a a shit sandwich, or what do they call it? A positivity shit sandwich. Like a very good friend of mine that went to a very good friend of Mets fan that went to a Yankee game, all dressed in Yankees garb, and the only player that he would criticize loudly was Derek Jeter. So <laughs> the fans didn't know what to do with him. It's very funny. Uh, okay, so Dan H said in response to your thesis, Max, I agree ninety five percent. Oh no, sorry, <laughs> I missed the punctuation there. In response to your thesis, Max, I agree. 95% of the people I talk to are supportive of forming a union. We have about 800 eligible members in our bargaining unit. Oh, by the way, I'd asked some people to share their personal union stories, and that's why we're getting some of these. So thank you, everybody, for answering that call. In our bargaining unit, and in order to file with the state labor board, we need at least 30% of them to individually sign a physical membership card. Most have very little idea what doing so actually means, and there's no feeling that they are part of a larger movement at our college let alone the U.S. There's little interest to get more involved because it's yet another thing on people's plates. I'd love to hear more about how we can better organize ourselves around particular issues, candidates, policies that are largely popular, simple, and accomplishable, but perhaps that's too much to ask. 
If my experience organizing to form a union over the year or so now is any indication, we have a long way to go. Okay, so uh, Dan, you're, you're hitting on some important points. So again, the two things that stand out to me from the strike episode is one, it's very hard to galvanize a public that is largely uh, independent from one another. And I think COVID really did us a disservice by separating people. I think that Hot we have- take. COVID did us a disservice. <laughs> I think we have, we have more- I think that we're, we're going to discover that the lockdown era changed our psychology in ways that we haven't even really contemplated. I know that it changed the psychology of young people that came through it. And there's uh, there's definitely a, a learning loss that has occurred and all those kind of things, social connections. Oh, yeah. I'm emotionally not the same. Definitely not. Definitely changed. It's I'm like an entirely different person. Yes. Yes. And I think we're going to see that in broader societal ways. And I think that these type of actions are could be could be one of them. Having said that, that's why I was such a fan of the writer's strike and the SAG strike and why I think that their strike actually was more martyrdom than the other strikes because the, the supply chain doesn't come to a grinding halt. There's still toilet paper on the shelves and you can eat. You can still get car parts. You can still do all those things when they go out on strike. The only thing you're inconvenienced by is being less entertained by stuff and we don't even know how bad like shit's going to be in the fall, right? Yeah. And not even just that is not even fair because there's so much content that the writers could strike for 2 years and you couldn't see every TV show. So yeah. it's just new stuff. That's right. So it's like there it's even almost even less of a risk because mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. But more symbolic, if yes. that makes sense. Yes. And I mean some of the executives were talking about how this was going to be positive for them because they didn't have to put out so much money in developing new content and material, which is really fucked up. But also, I mean, it's a it's a pretty Machiavellian take on the situation. But you know, it was probably there's probably closer to the truth. I think uh, not. I think I, Bernie sat down with Fran Drescher. Uh -huh. I don't know if you heard it. Did you hear it? No. Can I play this. We're not happy. I think from the Mr. Iger is that his name from Disney. Uh, you were not too happy with what he had to say, huh? You know, I don't even want to make it about him. He stuck his foot in it so bad that you notice they're not letting any of the other CEOs open their mouth. There he is, sitting in his designer clothes, just got off his private chat at the billionaire's camp, telling us we're unrealistic when he's making $78,000 a day. I mean, that is extraordinary. This sketch writes itself. It really Bernie does. Bernie Sanders and Fran Drescher. That is the Jewiest New York skit that would ever be written. That is amazing. Oh, I, Mr. Igun. She's like, I, I know. know. <laughs> Can you believe it? That is priceless. I know. They could be saying, I, they could be saying the most like vitriolic right wing shit and I'd be like, yes, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Let me hear it. You know what's funny about that is that I know it's funny intellectually, but if I was just like watching it, it wouldn't hit my ear funny at all. You oh, know? It, like, it doesn't hit my ear funny. I just, so, I feel safe. Uh, I do too. Yeah. It's like comfort food. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, Billion dollars anyway. a day. Holy shit. That is amazing. So, oh, so sort of the fractured environment and social structure that was, I think, only worsened by, by COVID. That's why it was important for for the writers and actors and people that people know are out there to see like, you know, Fran Drescher and Brian Cranston and people just going and, and being very, very vocal 
and bringing up these issues about what most writers make, what most actors make, was, I think, really instructive, and it was a very good thing. And I think that all the attention that a Sean Fain is getting by having this strategy is really important to show people what is possible and actually tell people what unions are fighting for, because most people do not, I mean, the majority of Americans are not in a union and now don't even have family members that are in a union. There's no there isn't even sort of like, oh, yeah, my brother's in a union or, you know, my uncle was was in a union for, you know, 35 years and retired out, had a great pension. Like those stories are going away. That's how long it's been since we've had any sort of moment. So I do think in response to the end of your question here or the end of your statement, I'd love to hear more about how we can better organize ourselves around particular issues, candidates, policies that are extremely popular, simple and accomplishable that we're, we're doing it by having the conversations. We have to have keep having the conversations. So as much as I cannot call it a movement, as much as I was minimizing the effect of unions in this country right now, the point was to to prop it up, even though I don't think it's the ultimate endgame. It's massively important for us to have these discussions and to keep it in the public eye. And that's how we do it. We just point to this stuff and you continue to elect a pr- progressives that are union friendly. So even though I feel weird about Biden standing up there and having the photo op and being opportunistic about it, yes, it is also important because that's going to create fodder on the right and on the left. So the left's going to call bullshit on it. The right's going to say, look at him trying to destroy the economy by standing with the the corrupt union. So, but as long as we're talking about it, it gives people an idea that this shit is real. The weird thing to me is that it feels like the union jobs, the quote unquote working class, feel like they would be more aligned with Republicans and maybe are. So that's why it's like so backwards to me. So backwards. Like, you know, the mechanics and like the stereotypical, but like it feels and cops. I mean, it feels. Well, I don't don't know if it's urban legend or if it's real, but the urban legend, at least, is that LBJ, upon signing the Civil Rights Act, said we've lost the South forever Mm. and they will go red. You know, and now you get into the whole discussion of how much. Oh, is this part of your critical race theory? Like, no, this is the stuff that was spoken about out loud. That the 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 one thing that superseded our feelings about workers, workers' rights, anything, was the antipathy that had been built up in this country between between black voters and white voters. And so that's when whites started to expel black union members. That's when you started to see that there was even you know more of a fracture mm. because union membership among black people was that it was actually much higher than among white people coming out of the Reconstruction phase. Like it was when unions were first formed. That's not true. Coming into the 20th century, in the beginning, they didn't allow black membership, but they, they, as soon as they allowed it, the percentage of black workers increased dramatically and much more so than white people. So that's how much those racist elements are at the core of things. And that's why critical race theory is a theory that actually has to be taught, at least at a collegiate level, to explain how things do exactly what you're saying is how, how the fuck can it be that the Democrats came to be coastal elites and the Republicans are the are, are the party of the working class when the Republic every Republican policy is designed to suppress the working class. How the fuck can it be? One of the key answers there is we're that racist. Amazing. That's wild. Yeah. Economics of racism. You should do an episode on that. Yeah. So, Moving on. Yeah. Will you tell us what SB Jones had to say? Yes. Yeah, so they wanted to give their take on unions. I do think unions can be good and bad at the same time. I like seeing unions on strike try to get better labor conditions. It's well overdue when you have companies making massive profits and it's not getting to anyone but the shareholder and CEOs. But I've also had issues with trying to find a job at places that are unionized. A little later, they say, I do think labor needs to fight back against the oligarch class 
pay needs to go up, but unions can also be frustrating for those who aren't in them. I'm also really enjoying the Socialism series, but I do hope at some point it'll be put together in one big episode, mainly because it would be easier to keep track of, and I would definitely give it another listen as a full-length feature. Good stuff. Well, SB, here, here to the first part. Unions, not perfect institutions themselves, for sure. Just better than what most people have access to. And on the second part of that, we are, much to Manny's chagrin, definitely going to put them together into one giant series. But also on that note, we're working on something else that I think might be uh, kind of a cool keepsake from uh, from that series. Now, with that said, we are so far into this thing. We actually had a lot of other uh, feedback that we can include in next week's, um, maybe in next week's show notes, because there's some really good meat in there. Uh, so apologies if we didn't get to your feedback, but we're just going to go right down to thank Maria from Puerto Rico who bought four coffees and all and said, just sending my love to you all and wishing happy recovery to 99. Well, I can tell you she is, what percentage recovered would you be? 80, nope, 96. I have a little, like one lingering I need to sniff every now and again, okay. but mostly there. All right. I wanted to say that like Elena from Mexico, I bristle every time someone, mostly U.S. people says America when they mean U.S. of A. The rest of us Americans kind of think it sounds ignorant and arrogant, but dear Max, you're not a frequent offender as you're very conscientious of it. And if I recall correctly, you usually say the U.S. Yes, but I would I would never have done that were it not for you. So I want to point that out and say thank you. Number two, dear Manny, I appreciated the harpy. It made my day. Thanks. Plus, you did a great job on the episode. But Maria has soundboard envy. I want sound effects. Knudsen has Knudsen. Will Watkins has, hold for it. I am William Wallace. Those always make me laugh, and I do repeat the words every time. And now Snail Powered has a slow sound effect that actually makes my neurodivergent and postmenopausal brain cringe and recoil. It kind of vibrates. That effect is horrible. Manny, do something. 99, please make him do something. But pretty please, I want a Maria song bit. If it's okay, Sound of Music or West Side Story, either is good, I'm flexible, I am a problem, and you just met me. <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Maria? Thank you. Uh, I'm an elderly girl. Also, no, you're not. Also, Max's voice would be great. Love the much-hated West Side Story. Maria, for the first time ever, rendered in his lovely voice. Okay, Maria. Este es para ti. The most beautiful sound I ever heard. Maria. Maria, Maria, Maria. So. Snail powered. I did hear it and I was like, something happened to the audio. And then I realized. Uh, so that's that. Hey, we had no new reviews. So if you what can, hell, leave people? us a review. Uh, and we also had, a, we lost a couple of members net net because uh, financial situations changed and one person just threw us to the curb. Um, but that's something that we totally understand. <laughs> what do you mean? They give us excuses. What's that? One person threw us to the curb. They're like, nah, yeah, done with this, not listening anymore. No, they, it was polite. They said that it's just not as relevant to them anymore. Yeah. And I think that's okay. That was okay. Yeah. That was fine. But so, it was a, it was a net net decline, which which uh, is it's tough to take. So if you can, if you see your way clear to taking out a membership, if you listen to the show for a very long time and have never considered uh, donating, that would be amazing. Thank you to all of those that are donating and are keeping this thing going. And uh, we've got a lot of new stuff coming out, so make sure to stay tuned. That's all we're going to cover for today. Manny, sorry for such a long show. 99, great to have you back in the studio. Obviously, we we're very excited to be together once again. And uh, Unfuckers, we will catch you, not sure exactly when, but we'll catch you with the epilogue. And then we have a couple of really cool 
phone a friend's coming up, so stay tuned. We're going to do something spooky, right? For Halloween? Spooky. Let's have on a Republican. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> Not ready for that. Bye. Bye. Maria, you know you're my lover.